This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. This morning, Pastor Chris is continuing the Lent message series, Rooted Idols. In this series, we're exploring the many things that compete for the throne of our lives. Thanks again for spending part of your week here with us at Christian Chapel. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. It always feels like a bit of a cruel joke when it's cloudy on Daylight Savings Day. Like you lose that extra hour of sleep. It could at least be sunny to help us out. But uh, we're glad you made it. Some of you, I don't know if you think you're just coming late to the 915 service, but uh, it's actually 1112, not 1012. So uh, just clear that up. Um, This morning we are in week five of our Lent message series. Lent is the 40 days leading up to Easter, kind of a season of preparation for Christians where typically uh, we either lay something down to remind us of Christ's sacrifice or we pick something up to remind us of the new life he's offered to us. Uh, But all of that is getting us ready to celebrate the resurrection on Easter. And uh, in your seats this morning, if there's not one there, you can grab them back at the Welcome Center. But there's these little invitation cards for Easter. Uh, I would really encourage you, invite your friends, invite your family. Um, Every year around this time, there are studies that, that come out. And for the last couple of years, what they've said is, Uh, Among people who don't go to church, 80% of them said they would say yes to an invitation from a friend or family member to attend church on Easter. So go ahead and extend those invitations to your coworkers, to family. They are expecting it from you. Uh, And so just just do that. And we're trusting that when we celebrate uh, the resurrection on Easter, that we will also celebrate many people finding new life in Christ as well. So we're looking forward, looking forward to that. If you missed last Sunday, you missed a a great message from our children's pastor, Amy Byler. She did a a wonderful job talking to us about the temptation we face to worship busyness. And so if you weren't able to hear that, I'd encourage you to uh, either download the Christian Chapel podcast in iTunes or get on the the website, christianchapel.com, and you can listen to it there. For those of you who were here, you know what a good job she did. I told her this week she did so well uh, that she's going to have to do that again more frequently in the future. So uh, I know many of you are looking forward to that, as I am as well. But throughout Lent, we've been talking about the different idols that kind of vie for the throne of our heart. And what we've explored each week is uh, a different gift from God that we are tempted to worship instead of God. And so the the reason for this weight bench back here behind me is uh, the very first week when we started, we talked about how Jesus is the only thing that can hold up under the weight of our worship. And any time we put that level of expectation and attention on anything but Jesus, it's going to crumble under the weight and it's going to lead us down a path that's going to be defined by just disappointment and disillusionment and destruction and, and ultimately death. That we were created to worship and only Jesus can fully and finally meet that need. So each week we've explored a a different thing that we're tempted to worship, and this morning we are going to talk about one of the most common and probably the most prevalent, the most, uh, the one that comes at us again and again, and it's the God of money. Um, Last week Angie and I were able to travel down to Atlanta, and we met with a group of missionaries from India. They're part of an organization called Live Dead India that our, our church has been a part of. It's really just kind of getting started. It's a church planning initiative in India. And so we were there and talking with the missionaries about what they were doing and how we, um, Angie and I individually, and how us as a church corporately can participate in what they're doing and be part of that and just encourage them and, and do all we can to establish a church where Jesus isn't known. 
And in the course of some of those conversations, uh, the, the leader of Live Dead, a guy named Joseph, who was here and, and spoke to us last October, he made a statement. He said, I've got some Indian friends, and they are willing to go live in some of the most dangerous places in the world. And he told the story about a couple of his friends who had moved to Afghanistan. And he said, there are really only two reasons that people go to live in places like that. He said, one is to make money, and the other is to tell people about Jesus. And kind of the point he was making was if we can uh, introduce Indian people to Jesus, when they are passionate about something, they'll go anywhere to tell others about it. And so he just kind of was, was making this point of we've got to establish a church in India because it's going to be key to reaching some of these other difficult places in the world. But as he was talking about that, it, it really made me think again and consider uh, just that power that money can have on our hearts. You know, of, of the willingness of men and women to do all sorts of things, to go to incredibly dangerous places, all in the pursuit of a good opportunity to make money. And I think all of us would admit this morning uh, that money either has a grip on our heart or it's fighting for a grip on our heart, right? And, and that doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. It doesn't matter how much money you make or how much you don't make. Regardless of who we are, money matters to all of us. It matters because in our culture and in our world, it's how we, uh, it's how we have our security, it's where many of us find our identity. It's how we prove to others that we matter. Right? If we have a lot of it, it can be proof that, look, I'm important, I'm smart, I'm significant. If we don't have much of it, that can be a source of endless frustration to us. And that's not a uniquely American thing. That's a pretty universal thing. If you could travel around the world this morning or if you could travel back through history somehow, you would find in every culture, in every people group, whether they trade in crops or goatskins or gold or dollars, everybody's keeping score, everybody's keeping track, and everybody is thinking about it. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning is this kind of unending pull on our hearts to worship money for what it does for us, for what it provides for us, and, and ultimately what we're going to look at is how that leads us down a path that is not as bright and wonderful as it initially seems. But before we do that, I want to look at something Jesus says to us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Now, I don't, I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus this morning. If you are um, just kind of a fan of him, if you are fully devoted to him, but here's what I know. I know it's true for me. I know it's true for many of you as well, that no matter how devoted you are to Jesus, no matter how long you have followed him, no matter how long you have confessed him as your savior and as your Lord, you face a constant temptation to pick and choose which of his teachings you want to apply and which ones you want to explain away, 
right? And so especially today when we're going to talk about money and Jesus says some very direct things about it and gives us some pretty specific instructions about what we should do with it, when it comes to some of that, we can suddenly become experts at excusing ourselves from the clear commands of Scripture, And we can do these in really polished and professional ways, and we can talk about, you know, well, the original language meant this, and uh, Jesus' culture was different than ours, and my life and my needs, and and we can just kind of set ourselves up to say, well, I know that's true for most people, but for me, this is okay. But I think this is a wonderful, really probably every Sunday, this would be a wonderful passage for us to start with, Jesus' reminder that anytime you build on anything but me, it's going to crash. And when it comes to money, I think that's a wonderful reminder for us from the very beginning. It will not hold up to the weight of our worship, and we won't hold up to the difficulties of life if that's where we are bowing. And so as we talk about what Jesus says about money this morning, my encouragement to you uh, is, is just to kind of come with open hands, with an open heart, to listen to what the scriptures say, and to let the Spirit speak to you and then respond appropriately. And I'll I'll share some stories with you about how that's happened even recently for me in some of these areas. But Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24 is the the chunk of scripture we're going to look at this morning. It's going to be a little long, so just bear with me as as we read through it together. Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will love the one, either you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, when I used to read these, I felt like it was Jesus talking about several different things. You know, he talked about treasure, and then he talked about money, and then he talked about worry, and then he talked about seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. But when you read it in the scriptures, in the context that that Matthew gives it to us, this is one block of teaching. And it's all centered around this same idea of seeking God's kingdom first and making the decision if we're going to worship God or money. And, And everything else he says in there about worry and clothes and food and drink, all of that kind of fits underneath that category. So what we're going to do for a couple minutes is look through some of that 
and see exactly what Jesus is trying to say to us. The first thing he's telling us when he talks about don't store up for yourself treasure on earth, but instead store up for yourself treasure in heaven, is he is drawing a line between what we value and what we believe in our heart. And he's saying the things that you chase, the things that you accumulate, those are symbols of what you worship. And if we dedicate our lives to the accumulation of money and stuff, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Jesus makes it as clear as he can in his particular setting that money and all of the stuff it buys for you is all temporary and it will all be destroyed. Right? He says everything will deteriorate. Thieves can take your most prized possessions. Moths can ruin your most beautiful clothing and decorations. Rust can work its way through your most valuable tools. I mean, if he was speaking to us today, he might talk about, you know, the, the ability of a market dip to change your financial worth. He might talk about changing political climates or the price of a barrel of oil or all these other things that, that could happen, that could change. Don't put your hope because all of it is temporary. And he's trying to drive home this point from the very beginning of, look, there are two ways you can go. You can do it all for yourself and see what you can accumulate, and it's all going to be lost, or you can surrender your life to God and you can pursue what matters to him and it's all going to last. And he starts to set it up this way. He's reminding us then too that our pursuit of treasure leads us either into an experience of light or an experience of darkness. Before he even directly talks about money, Jesus is pointing us into our hearts and telling us that the things we pursue on the outside always affect us on the inside. And after that, he gets straight to the point. He says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And this is where we typically are, are pretty good at starting to make our excuses. You know, well, well I, don't, I don't worship money. You know, I, I like it, but I don't love it. And we, we're pretty good about, you know, like, well, I, I get that Jesus says that, but, but I had some pretty smart parents who gave me some good financial principles. You know, I get that Jesus said that, but I've got a lot of education. I've got a good job. I can handle this. I get, that, I get what Jesus means that some people can't handle it, but I, you know, I walk with the Holy Spirit. I can do all this. It's fine. I can, I can chase it. I can accumulate it, and it's not going to affect my soul. But Jesus is making it abundantly clear to us that everyone, everywhere, at every point in history faces a choice between God or money. And he leaves no wiggle room. He says, you're going to love one and you're going to hate the other. And your love for one of them requires your hatred of the other. I mean, it's a very alarming and extreme statement that he's making here. And I think it's one of those, again, there's so many passages of Scripture that we've heard so many times, they kind of lose their shock value to us, and this can very easily be one of those. Jesus says, look, it's God or it's money. It's not both. It's never both. It's always one or the other. And so one of the ways I think we can kind of look at our own hearts and say, okay, if that's true, which side do I fall on? Well, one of the ways that I've seen is, is when we are tempted, when I'm tempted to worship money and when others are as well, typically there becomes a, a, lot of, um, a lot of me and my and mine language that's used. You know, my money, 
my bank account, my paycheck, my taxes, my refund, my deals, my bargains, my home, my stuff, my retirement, all of these, it's me and it's mine and it's my hard work and my ideas and my ability to save and my ability to invest. And the, the problem with that thinking is it leads you down a path where at the end of it, what you believe is you are single-handedly responsible for all that you have. And the problem with that is it means you are now single-handedly responsible for keeping it all and managing it all. And that leads you to the point that, that, that I've found myself in many times, I know many of you have as well, where you wake up in the middle of the night and your first thought is, how am I going to pay for my kids to go to college? What's going to happen to my retirement account if fill-in-the-blank is elected, you know? What's going to happen with these global moves over here? How's that going to trickle down and affect me? And we start to wake up and we start to worry and we start to have all of this concern and just all of this, how am I going to do this? And I think it leads us naturally into the the next portion of Jesus' teaching here. You see, like I said, I used to think it was like a teaching on money and then a teaching about worry and these two things were separate. Like you dealt with the money thing and then you dealt with the worry thing. But Jesus puts them together, I think, to teach us this very simple idea that idle worship will always lead to worry. Because you're dependent on something that cannot hold that weight. And so when he goes into this extended teaching about how we worry about what we eat and what we drink and what we wear, what he's saying is, look, when you worship money, this is what your life is going to look like. You're going to worry about proving your security. You're going to be worried about buying your identity. You're going to be worried about securing your worth. And Jesus is very direct when he describes this behavior. He says, that is what pagans do. And to his original audience, that's like a slap in the face. They are good, God-fearing Jews. And to be called a pagan is just one of the worst things in the world. I mean, basically what Jesus is saying is, you are living like godless and hopeless people when you spend your life chasing after these things. Again, it's rooted in this idea of when you worship money, your life will be consumed by worry. Because you'll never have enough, you'll never be able to keep enough, and you're always going to be worried that somebody's trying to take it from you. He says, don't do that. Don't live that way. He's so direct. He says, pagans live this way, but you should not because your Father in heaven knows that you need them. Jesus is teaching us that we are created by God and we're created to be dependent on God. And not just in a, in a generic sense of like, yes, he controls everything and so he provides for me indirectly by sending rain and sun and all these. But no, he says, your father, he's making it very, very personal to us. Your father knows what you need. Another part of that that, that the, they would have known and that Jesus is teaching us is your father knows what you need and he will provide it for you. And it's a remarkably different understanding of money. And we, I think most of us, we get that. We understand this idea. I can't worship money. It's not going to hold up. It's going to lead me into a life of worry and stress and uncertainty. I believe that God is my father. I believe that he provides all things for me. I trust him. And yet we still worry. Yet we're still tempted to worship money. And so the, the question I think that we're kind of left with at this point in Jesus' teaching is, then what do I do? How do I make sure money becomes a tool and not something that I craft into an idol? And Jesus tells us in verse 33, he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness 
And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And when you get to this idea of kind of kingdom economics, of what does Jesus teach us about money? What do the scriptures teach us about how we obtain it and how we use it and how we save it and how we spend it and how we give it? I mean, there have been just countless books written about it. There have been so many sermons preached. There's so much said about it in the scriptures. This morning, what I want to do is we kind of start to wrap up those, look at three quick things, specifically from Jesus that I think Jesus teaches us about money and that if we put them into practice, they will not only guard our hearts against becoming greedy idolaters, but they will actually bring his new life into us and set us free to live with a very healthy relationship where money is a, a tool that can be used for God's advancement in our world instead of our own. So the first one, uh, we're not gonna read all these in depth. I wanna encourage you to read them later, but in Luke chapter 12, Jesus reminds us that that the first thing we need to remember is that this life is not the end. In Luke chapter 12, he tells a story of a a rich man who has this incredible harvest. And he decides, basically, he's going to cash in. He says, I'm going to build bigger barns, I'm going to accumulate, I'm going to store up, and then I'm going to just kind of live the good life. I'm going to kick back, I'm going to take it easy. And Jesus is very direct. He calls him foolish. He says that life does not consist in an abundance of possession. He says the man who, who, is, who accumulates possessions but is not rich towards God is a fool. And he's teaching us, I think, this idea that one of the ways we guard our hearts, one of the ways we live with him as the Lord instead of money as the Lord is by constantly reminding ourselves this life is not the end. Right, that everything here is temporary and all that we buy and all that we store up and all that we accumulate is temporary. So one of the ways that we as followers of Christ can make sure money always stays in its proper place is by choosing to give it away to invest in things that last beyond us. To invest in the work of God, in the move of God in our world. It means that our primary investments in life should never be in stuff but they should be in people. And specifically, they should be in things and ways that help people find their identity as God's children. We should strive to live as people who are rich towards God, who view every dollar, every possession as an opportunity to participate in what God is doing and in what he will continue to do long after we're gone. The second thing I think Jesus teaches us is earlier in Matthew chapter 6, and it's that generosity is expected. He, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, it says, When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. I love this, this phrasing that Jesus uses, and, and I think I've shared this example with you before, but that idea of giving in a way where your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Uh, what it makes me think of is when you watch like Brandon play the guitar or Matt on the piano or Jake on the drums, like, they all play in a way that their hands seem to operate independently, right? And I, I don't know how many of you are like me. I am not a musician. I have absolutely no natural rhythm at all. So anytime I've ever taken a music lesson, it's been like a Hindenburg style disaster. I mean, just 
completely awful, nothing works well. I thought when you played a guitar, you put your finger in one spot and then you just kind of went nuts over here. Uh, and I, I took like half a lesson before I quit. And the guy was like, no, th- these three fingers go in these three places. And then you hit these two strings in this order. And then those, and I was done. I was completely checked out. And then I tried to play the drums one time. And when they got to like, I could do the one and then the two, but then the feet go in there. And it's just like, you know, you're like a dancing monkey over there. Just kind of, I couldn't do any of it. And so I quit. Uh, and, and, but the thing you see though with a, an accomplished musician is they eventually get to the point when they first start playing, they're thinking about what they're doing. Right? Or maybe if they're playing a song for the first time, they're paying attention to the, the, the chords they're hitting or the keys they're striking. But the more they play it, the more they know it, they eventually get to this point where it happens without them thinking. It just, their body just does it. There's this connection between their mind and their fingers that, that really, I mean, for someone like me, it looks completely supernatural. Like there, is, there seems to be no human way that should be possible, and yet it is. And I think that's what Jesus is pushing us towards here. You know, what he's telling us is the solution to greed is, is not just simply to give, but it's to give so often that it eventually becomes as natural to you as breathing. That there's no question of if I give or when I give, it's just of course I give. I'm a follower of Christ. This is what I do. And it's, it's a complete shift in understanding to where when we, our hearts have been changed by the new life Jesus offers, when we understand the greatness of the gift he has given to us, we view our money and all of our possessions not as things we have earned and attained, but as things God has freely given to us. And now it is our joy to share these with other people. And we don't need attention for it. We don't need a claim for it. We just do it because it's who we are. And the, the interesting thing is this is what Jesus expects from all of us. This isn't just like those who are gifted in giving, but he's saying, no, if you, there's an expectation of when you give to the needy, you give naturally. You give in a way where your right hand doesn't even know what your left hand is doing. It's this really beautiful picture, and, and we all know from our experience that type of life is only possible when our hearts are changed. Right? You cannot legalist, you can't become a, a natural giver through legalism. You can't follow a set of rules often enough to become a natural giver. You can become a mechanical giver, but you cannot become a natural giver. You have to come to the point where it's just what you do. And this is what Jesus teaches us about money. Money is given to you so that you can give it away. And that is just completely upside down from what almost every culture in the world would teach us about money and how we preserve it and how we protect it. The third thing Jesus teaches us is found in Matthew chapter 25. He reminds us that we are stewards, not owners. In Matthew 25, he tells a story of an owner who goes away and he leaves investments with various people who work with him. Depending on the translation you read, sometimes they call them stewards, sometimes they call them managers, sometimes they call them workers, but uh, the point is the same in all of those. The point is that all of the stuff belongs to someone else. And you are just given it for a season and for a reason. And when we start to think of our money and our possessions in this way, it sets us free because it means everything you have, everything you've earned, everything you've accomplished, all of that belongs to God. There is nothing you have that is yours. It's all his. 
And the, the, one of the greatest ways for us to remember that is to think that everything we achieve, everything we collect, everything that we save and store up for ourselves, when we die, somebody else becomes in charge of it. Somebody else becomes the one who manages it. Somebody else becomes the one who spends it or saves it or sells it. It's all temporary. And the, the point Jesus is making in this idea of, of stewardship, not ownership, is, hey, God's given it to you, and he expects you to do something with it. Like, there's responsibility that comes. And, and the, the more ability you have in some of these areas, the more responsibility and the more expectation God has of you. You know, it's that idea of to whom much is given, much is required. And so he gives it to you freely, but he gives it with an expectation that now, hey, use this in ways that honor me. Use this in ways that glorify me. And this, this understanding of stewardship, not ownership, really sets us free. You know, it's this idea of, yeah, I have responsibility, but at the end of the day, it's not mine. And if it all disappears, I still serve and work for the one who has it all. And so it really means you can relax a little bit because it means if you lose everything, it's okay. He's got more. And he's going to come and he's going to provide and he's going to, you know, it's, it's again, that delicate balance of, yes, you're going to be held accountable. Don't be foolish. Don't be wasteful. But at the same time, don't worship yourself and your ability to earn and save. All you have is a gift from God. All of it. And so we are stewards. We're not owners. And so all of this, I think, is pretty easy to understand. Uh, it's easy to look at that and say, yes, I agree with that. This life is not the end. Generosity is expected. I'm a steward, not an owner. And yet you still know, just like I do, you can agree with that. You can live this way, and money still fights for a hold on your heart. It still tries to assert itself as the one that needs to be paid attention to. And God, in his grace, often arranges the circumstances of our life to teach us just how dependent we are on money. And sometimes he does that in really dramatic ways where it's through, you know, it can be through a job loss. It can be through an economic downturn. It can be through things where uh, we're really, we see just how much we depended on that instead of him. Other times it's in smaller, sillier ways, which honestly, that's the way I prefer to learn. You know, like, God, if you want to teach me lessons, don't get me fired. Just, uh, you know, teach me, teach me easier ones. So um, last week, uh, not Saturday, but a week ago Saturday, I was driving in from my house to the church for the, the boys' Pinewood Derby. And Angie had her older son out at, out at a baseball tournament. So I had my, my middle son and my youngest daughter, they're eight and seven, with me. And we pulled into this quick trip over here at 81st and Memorial to get gas. And so we pull in, and I get out, and I start pumping, and this guy on the, the pump next to me, he gets out, and I, he's just got that, he's got that look in his face, and, and I know he's about to hit me up for something. And that's fine. So he starts telling me this story about, you know, how he got stranded in Tulsa, and he just needs money for gas to get back home, and, and whatever. So I told him, okay, pull down here, and, and I'll, I'll put some gas in your tank. Now, I had every intention of buying him about 10 gallons of gas, and telling him, God bless you, and getting over here to the, the Pinewood Derby. And about two or three gallons into me pumping, he says, hey, man, what do you do for a living? And I thought, well, you're getting a full tank now. Um, and I said, I'm a pastor. He's like, oh, a pastor? And his brother was in the car, and he, he thought he had won the lottery. He turned to his brother, we got a pastor! 
He said, I told you when we prayed, God was going to provide. And I just thought, oh, you're just like top it off. You know, every, and he did, man. He squeezed out every last drop of gas that could fit in his tank. I think it might have been overflowing his car by the end. And, and he and I had a good talk and, and uh, I got back in the car and my kids, the windows were up, so they didn't, they didn't hear everything that was going on. But they saw enough to see like dad's pumping that guy's gas. So I get in, they're like, why, you know, all, just all the questions started, eight and seven. So why, why'd you have to buy him gas? How come he has a car, but he doesn't have gas money? Doesn't he have a job? Doesn't he have a friend he can call? Doesn't, like, why did you, why'd you fill it all the way up? Why didn't you just, you know, all, just endless questions. And, and, uh, and I, I found myself saying something that, that surprised me even as it came out of my mouth. And I, at first I told him, I said, look, we, you know, when people are in need, we try to help them. And because one of them was like, well, how do you know he was telling the truth? I don't, but you know, it's, it's 25 bucks. So that's on him now, you know, if he, whatever, that's his. And, uh, but as we were pulling out of the parking lot, uh, they said, well, why do you do that, dad? And I said, God has blessed your mom and I with plenty of money to be able to help people like that. Now, I know many of you, you would have said the exact same thing. The difference between me and you, though, is you would have believed it when you said it. (laughs) I heard it coming out of my mouth, and I thought, oh, no, no. I have spent 11 years with my children trying to teach. Like, when Angie and I talk about finances with our kids, we don't use language of abundance. We use language of caution and planning, (laughs) right? And so we are constantly telling them. We do not choose to spend our money that way. We, you know, we, here's what the Bible teaches. God blesses us. He expects us to be generous. He expects us to give. And because we give, it means we have to be more disciplined in our giving. And every time we go on a vacation or they get birthday presents or it's Christmas, like we are the, the spoiler parents who are like, now we hope you guys enjoyed that. And here's what you need to know. We're able to do this because God has provided for us and we've been disciplined and we have a budget and we budgeted this and we saved it and we hope you had fun with it, Right. You better really appreciate that American Girl doll because it's the result of God's, you know, whatever. Uh, so we just all of these, we, we use language of caution and planning. But in that moment, it was this language of abundance. And as that statement came out, we have plenty of money. There was a, a part of my brain that was screaming, you're an idiot. No, you don't. You have three kids to send to college. You're going to need that 25 bucks. You follow that guy. Make sure he's going where he says he's going, you know? And and just internally, it's this this war of plenty, like, you know, and and I think we all do this because we can think, well, I know someone who has plenty of money, but it's not me. You know, we always have the one friend or family member we can point to that's like, well, they always have more than I do, so I never have enough. But over the past week, as I've been thinking about that and studying these scriptures, especially that idea of, I have plenty of money. I don't like to say it. Because when I say it, I'm afraid, well, first, it makes me sound arrogant. Second, it makes me sound like, you know, kind of that stereotype of pastors that people already have. And third, it means that there's a level of accountability that I'm not real sure I want. Because if I have plenty of money, all of these excuses are gone about why I can't give, why I can't help, why I can't donate. 
But I think for all of us, now we, now we want to be careful. When we talk about God and finances and language of abundance in Tulsa, Oklahoma, there has been so much just false teaching and, and terrible things that have been said, you know, about you give and God will make you rich. And the, the problem with a lot of that is, you know, the goal is like God makes you rich so you can buy all the stuff you want. It's basically in direct contradiction to what Jesus teaches here. But what God has been working in me about is I can't live in such fear of that extreme that I refuse to acknowledge the reality that he has blessed me with plenty. And not just because now we're in a particularly good financial position, but when I look back over the course of my life, what I have to honestly say again and again, and what each one of you have to honestly say as well, is I have always had plenty of money. On the day I got the promotion, I had plenty. On the day I got fired, I had plenty. On the day I got the raise, I had plenty. And on the day I was passed over, I had plenty. When my investments went up and when they went down, I had plenty. And the reason we say that, it's not some kind of generic statement of faith of like, well, if I say it, then my bank account will just grow and grow and grow. But we say it because we really believe the, last, the lines that Jesus puts in here of your father in heaven knows what you need. And it's a totally different picture. I mean, if you have a, a loving father who provided for you growing up, you know the security that gave you. Right? For my kids, they, they, they never wake up wondering, like, are we still going to be here tomorrow? Are we going to have food? They just know that's going to happen. And Jesus is trying to push us into this realm where we live completely dependent on God. But he's saying you'll never live that way as long as you're bowing before the idol of money. But when you release that, then you move into this season where no matter what I have or don't have, I have plenty. Because when God is our father, we always have enough. And that's really the solution. See, the solution to worshiping the idol of money is just to understand God is your father. He's the one who's given it all to you. And if it's all taken away, he's the one that will care for you. And we see this beautifully played out in the life of our church. I mean, we've seen it for over 40 years where God blesses and people have wonderful jobs and great careers and something happens and there's a, maybe there's a death or there's a sickness or there's a market change or a job loss. And, and suddenly this person who was so generous and helping meet the needs of so many others, they now become the recipient, but God remains the same in all of that. Whether you're the one giving aid or receiving aid, God is your father and you have enough. And it changes our whole view of money. When we commit to live this way, when we understand that, that, hey, Jesus, he wants us to be generous people, that all we have is a gift from him, then it means our job is just to steward whatever we have well. Whether that's a lot or whether that's a little, use it for his kingdom. And understand that as you use it, that as you receive it, that as you give it, you are doing it with a father who's provided it all and will continue to provide it all for you. It's a, it's a life-changing difference to be able to say, we have plenty. We're okay, and not only do we have enough for us, we've got enough to help others. We've got enough to be part of what God is doing. And you see this played out all around the world. It's, it's fascinating to see in some, especially in nations with a very small percentage of Christians, 
to see in those local churches the way that the poorest of the poor are cared for versus the way they're cared for in the rest of their culture. That those believers in that church, they're generally not missing meals because they're caring for one another. And out here, they're just overlooked and ignored. And it's the same message. When God is your father, he's not just your father individually, but he's our father. And so what that means is we all carry responsibility for one another. When There's a reason we pray the Lord's Prayer every week, because we want to remind ourselves he is our father in heaven. And not only do we belong to him, but we belong to each other. And that means I have a responsibility to you and you have a responsibility to me. That when I see you in need and I have the ability to do something about it, I will. And when you see me in need and you have the ability to do something about it, you will. And as we live this way, our Father gives us our daily bread. Sometimes he gives us directly from his hand and sometimes it comes from the hand of another. But in all things, at all times, we have all that we need. Lauren, if you and Matt will come up. There's, um, whenever you finish a, a message on money, the, the most tempting conclusion, honestly, is an offering. Um, but we're not going to do that. Uh, you know, it's, it seems to be the easiest way of like, hey, now that you all are feeling good and bad, uh, let's you know, pass that plate around two or three times. Have you ever been in church where they repassed it? I have. It was, I've never done it. There's part of me that wants to, but I never have. But that doesn't really have anything to do. But Lauren is going to lead us in a very simple hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And as we sing it, I understand that when we come to worship together, uh, we come from all different backgrounds. And I know especially today, we come in all different financial situations. Uh, For some of you, you are in a season of plenty like you have never known before. God has blessed you more recently than you have ever experienced. For others, you are at the lowest point, the point of not knowing where tomorrow's needs will be met. But my encouragement to you as we sing this song is just to remember, when God is your father, you have all that you need. You have plenty. He will provide. And so this song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, it talks about God's love that compels him to send Christ on our behalf. It talks about, I won't boast in anything but his death and resurrection. And so I want to encourage you this morning, especially if you're in a season of want, God sees you, God knows you, God loves you, and God will provide for you. If he has provided his son to secure your soul, he's not gonna overlook anything else. He's already won the greatest battle. And as we turn our eyes up towards that, I think it reframes the current problems that we have. And it helps us to trust, helps us to relax, helps us to lean in knowing that when God is our Father, we have all that we need. Will you stand and sing this with me as a statement of your faith this morning? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.